there, and welcome to Sex and the Sacred, where history, religion, and sexuality collide. I'm your host, Anna Zuckerman, and today I'm here to introduce you to one of my favorite historical figures. She's inspired centuries of artwork, invoking thoughts of devotion, lust, and deep spirituality. She's recently become a symbol of empowered femininity, thanks to the best-selling 2003 novel, The Da Vinci Code. And now, after centuries of misinformation, she's about to have her story told again, truthfully this time. You're listening to Sex and the Sacred, and today we're talking about Mary Magdalene. Depending roughly on your age and religious affiliation, you may have heard Mary Magdalene's story before. The rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, was traveling through Galilee and stopped to dine with some men he encountered. Sometime during the meal, a woman knelt to wash Jesus' feet, a sign of submission and reverence. The woman, known to be a prostitute, washed his feet not with water, but with her tears. Instead of rags, she dried his feet with her long red hair. When Jesus' disciples told him of the woman's employment, he chided them, forgiving her past sins and praising her devotion to God. This woman would join Jesus' inner circle and would be the first to witness his resurrection. Her name was Mary Magdalene. But wait, you may have heard it this way instead. Mary Magdalene, an independent, wealthy woman, was none other than the sacred wife of Jesus, She traveled with the 12 disciples and occasionally even earned their jealousy for her intimacy with the Lord. Three days after his crucifixion, she found her husband's body missing. Jesus appeared before Mary, alive and well, to the amazement of his tear-stained bride. Mary ran to tell the other disciples what had happened and later joined the ranks of Peter, John, and Paul of Tarsus as one of the earliest preachers in the Jesus movement. Okay, you might be wondering which story is true right about now. But here's the thing. I have no idea. Nobody does. Mary Magdalene is fascinating. She captivates me and tons of other people throughout history, including artists, theologians, and modern feminists. We like to think of her as a symbol of all the women hidden by history, whose accomplishments have been suppressed by men. We also like to think of her as a strangely erotic figure. Prostitute or wife of Christ, they both imply magnetic beauty and a certain je ne sais pas. We use her image for all kinds of things, in all kinds of contexts. But what do we actually know about her? Scholarship says not much, really. A number of top-notch scholars have dedicated their careers to figuring out who exactly Mary Magdalene really was. The results are varied and often hotly contested. Let me break down the three main theories for you. Theory number one. Mary Magdalene, Apostle to the Apostles. So this theory is by far the easiest for people to get on board with, and consensus says it's true. The Apostle to the Apostles theory argues that Mary, as the only witness to the resurrection mentioned in all four Gospels, was the messenger of the event to the 11 remaining disciples. This number excludes Judas. This 
biblically, seems pretty simple and clear-cut. However, this makes Mary super important to Christianity. Mary was the one to witness the resurrection. She is the first to do what Christians are supposed to do and spread the good news. This means that whenever the disciples were writing and or preaching around the Mediterranean, Mary had the most legitimate story to tell. For any of you that are aware of the Catholic Church's stance on female priests, this is huge. I'll get more into this with the third theory, but for now, just remember to listen to BBC Four's In Our Time Religion podcast on Mary Magdalene after this episode. It breaks down the importance of this theory beautifully and at much greater length than I have time for here. This is also a good place for me to plug the show website, www.sexinthesacred.com, where you can find the show notes, including links to the BBC podcast and all the other works I reference here. Okay, back to Mary. Theory number two, Mary Magdalene, the wife of Christ. This one is a doozy. If any of you have read The Da Vinci Code, you probably know this one. The theory goes like this. Mary Magdalene, from the fishing village of Magdala, was married to Jesus of Nazareth. She traveled with him and talked to him, creating a spiritual bond that the other disciples relied on. If you're a Da Vinci Code fan, you may also believe a tangent of this theory that claims Mary was also the mother of Jesus's secret line of children. This theory, while absolutely juicy with biblical scandal, has not been proven yet. Renowned Magdalene scholars Dr. Esther DeBoer, Dr. Karen L. King, and Dr. Jane Schauberg have all published books on the subject, weighing in on the were-they-weren't-they-married debate, and even addressing the rumors of a holy bloodline. They offer several pieces of evidence to prove it. First, they use cultural logic. Jesus, who grew up in an observant Jewish family, would have been expected, if not demanded, to marry. If he had not found a wife, surely one of the many people to write Gospels about him would have mentioned it, right? Well, the Catholic Church would disagree on that. Jesus, according to doctrine, was not only single but entirely celibate. That's part of the reason why we have this opinion that sex is so taboo and even sinful. There was no need to discuss Jesus's bachelorhood because the man was divine. The pro-wife rebuttal to the church turns to the Gnostic Gospels, looking for more proof of marriage. The Gospel of Philip, found as part of the Nag Hammadi scriptures in the mid-19th century, seemed to prove it. The parchment, get this, says, and the companion of the blank, Mary Magdalene, blank her more than blank, the disciples, blank, kiss her, blank, on her, blank. I know, right? Pro-wife theorists argue that the full text reads, and used to kiss her often on her mouth. Anti-wife theorists argue that the full text reads, and used to kiss her often on her hand, or cheek, or even feet as a sign of reverence. The most convincing scholars are the ones who argue that we can't assume to know, since we simply don't have the full text yet. While this is the current understanding that most historians have, we'll just simply have to keep digging, hoping to find another fragment of the text. Or we won't, and we'll never actually know, and it'll just be one of our mysteries. That's the cool but often infuriating thing about history as a field. 
So scholars are fighting left and right to determine whether Mary Magdalene was Jesus's wife, right? Well, why does that even matter? It matters because the Christian understanding of who and what Jesus was changes entirely if we believe he had a wife. The is Jesus fully human, fully divine, or somewhere in the middle, or both, theological debate becomes even more contentious, as does doctrine regarding priestly chastity. In short, a ton of the things we understand about Christianity, history, and even gender studies get complicated again, and scholars will have to figure it all out again. The heated debate in answering this question is what spices up the Da Vinci Code and makes it such an incredible thriller. See what I meant in the intro episode about this being an epic field? Okay, now to theory number three, Mary Magdalene as early teacher. This is the big one. This is the theory that is most important to women around the world. This one states that Mary Magdalene, instead of fleeing to France, as the longest-running historical legend has it, remained in the Holy Land to travel and teach the word of Jesus to the community. She joined the other writers like Peter and Paul and helped to form the tradition that would later be called Christianity. Whoa. This theory has huge implications, like nuclear-level ones. If Mary was traveling and teaching, as the other disciples were, she would have been their natural leader. Mary was the witness to the resurrection, remember? The one person who had an eyewitness account of the Lord in the garden. This surnamed independent woman had the most legitimate story to tell, the most intimate relationship to the divine. That topples everything. If this theory is correct, then the Catholic Church could have no legitimate reason to keep women from joining the clergy. In fact, it would be obligated to include them. The Church operates on precedent, and if the very first Christian teacher was a woman, then a woman could, hypothetically, be the Church's leader. Can you imagine how different history would be if the Catholic Church could be led by a woman? Realistically, it's unlikely that the church would have allowed women to take the highest leadership roles, but it is an interesting thought experiment that the argument could technically be made. Anyway, this theory is difficult to disprove because there is simply no evidence of her not teaching. However, it's equally difficult to successfully prove because there's no firm evidence of her actually teaching. So here we are again, back at square one. This might be a good time for you to ask, what do we actually know about Mary? And this is where I tell you that we don't actually know anything about her identity. We are reasonably sure that she came from Magdala, a small fishing village about 23 miles from Nazareth. Everything else we know comes from the Bible. Canonically, we know that she was one of the women that financially cared for Jesus. Likewise, we know that she had seven demons cast from her, whatever that means. We also know that she was there at the crucifixion and that she was the witness to Jesus's appearance in the Easter garden. Anything beyond that is still speculation and educated guess. All right, then, you say. We may not know whether she was Jesus's wife or whether she was an early priestess, but, you might ask, I thought she was supposed to be a prostitute. Wasn't that what people thought? Yes, my friend, people did think that. 
And yes, this time I can tell you why they did. In 591 CE, Pope Gregory the Great was writing a homily on penance and forgiveness. He turned to the Gospels for a passage to use and picked Luke 7 verses 36 through 51. In it, an anonymous prostitute washes Jesus's feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, and receives forgiveness for her sins. Gregory, in giving this homily, claims that this woman was Mary Magdalene. Gregory makes the assertion that Mary Magdalene, the anonymous sinner from Luke, and Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, were all the same person. This theory came to be known as the composite Mary by historians. Over the years, other Marys joined in. My personal favorite was Mary of Egypt, who was depicted with a full-body mane of chestnut hair. And I like to call this composite the Hairy Mary. Check it out in the show notes. I'm serious. The Catholic Church historically understood Mary Magdalene to be some form of this composite figure all the way up until 1969, all because Pope Gregory said he thought he believed them to be the same. Gosh, that grinds my gears. Anyway, the church did recant their 1,000-year-old statement that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute because of the increasing pressure from religious historians. But here's the kicker. We don't even know that she wasn't a prostitute. We only know that we can't prove that she was. And as of now, we can't definitively prove either side of the argument. So where do we end up here? realistically, about where we started, but with a much greater sense of Mary's importance to history. That's why Mary Magdalene is such a provocative figure in our minds, because she raises debate for a lot of people. Was she his wife? Was she a prostitute? Was she the earliest Christian leader? These questions haunt artists and theologians alike. We love to imagine her in all different kinds of ways, And we can do that because we really know so little of who she was. She is one of the great mysteries of the Bible, and her legacy has inspired us for millennia. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned a little bit about the mystical Magdalene figure. Next time on Sex and the Sacred, I'll be discussing Mochi Sex Pots, an early Peruvian guide to sex in the afterlife. Subscribe now to make sure you don't miss it. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Mary M or to check out any of the historical and scholarly works mentioned today, head to www.sexinthesacred.com where you can find the show notes for this and every episode. Likewise, if you'd like to get in on our super cool Sex and the Sacred t-shirts, mugs, and other merch, search for Sex and the Sacred on your Redbubble or Patreon pages where you can find us and help support the show. That's all for now. I'm your host, Anna Zuckerman, and you're listening to Sex and the Sacred, where history, religion, and sexuality collide. Thanks for tuning in with me. I'll see you next time. Mm